Paul is in prison as he writes this letter. He has with him a slave, Onesimus, who belongs to Philemon. Paul is writing to try to persuade Philemon to allow Paul to keep him with him as he's become a great help to him. Indeed, he's become more than simply a helper. He's become like his own child, a child in Christ. It's not fully clear that Onesimus will achieve free status if Philemon allows him to return to Paul, but it's very possible. It also seems very likely that Onesimus is a fugitive from Philemon, given that Paul offers to pay Philemon anything that Onesimus might owe his master. Human slavery is a demeaning condition that dehumanizes and diminishes the other wherever and whenever throughout history it is experienced. During the time of the Roman Empire, it was the result of war and domination. People were taken from their homelands to be slaves in Rome or were forced to labor for the Romans in occupied countries. Slaves were the property of their masters and might perform a variety of different kinds of work, from hard physical labor to work in the homes of their masters. Those who were house slaves most likely received better treatment than their counterparts who worked to build roads or the glorious buildings of the Roman Empire, but all were property, treated as chattels. In today's world, slavery is still with us. Children labor in factories in terrible conditions. Some migrant workers are not allowed to return home, or they remain unpaid for their labor. Young girls are trafficked and held as sex slaves and forced into addiction. Bernardo Cho writes of the conditions that slaves had to endure in the first century BCE. While some masters might be kind to their slaves, they remained property and many were treated cruelly. Some were flogged, tortured, even murdered for running away or for any action that a master might consider as wrong. Cho cites incidences of dire cruelty towards slaves. And while laws did exist to limit the punishment of slaves, it would have been extremely difficult for any enslaved person to seek redress from the courts for any wrongs against him or her. Manumission, or the freeing of a slave, was in theory possible, and it did happen. But in Onesimus' case, it's clear that Paul is not directly asking for this to occur without payment. For a slave to be freed, a price had to be paid. And we see Paul offering to make good on anything that's owed. Paul's letter to Philemon received little critical and interpretive attention from the early church and throughout the centuries. It was considered mainly to be of value because of its author, Paul, 
but it was thought to be a business letter about a legal matter, lacking in any spiritual content. And at the time of slavery in the Americas, Paul's writings were frequently used to justify slavery and to offer the opinion that slaves could be good Christians through obedience and hard work. After the era of slavery ended, many former slaves could not bear even to listen to Paul's writings. So offensive had the words of preachers been to them. In our modern era, liberation theology approaches and African-American theologies now find new meaning as they focus on the enslaved person and the significance of Paul's letter to Philemon to that enslaved person. One such author, Matthew Johnson, writes that Philemon should be read through the eyes of Onesimus, the slave, rather than through the eyes of Paul or Philemon. He not only contends that we should focus on Onesimus, but that God is, in fact, speaking through him and may not be saying the same thing as Paul is saying. Johnson writes, Onesimus represents the terrible and earth-shattering silences, the disruptive spaces buried beneath the grand narratives of oppressive elites. Christ, according to Reformed theologian Karl Barth, was, in Barth's words, a partisan of the poor. Christ ministered to and healed those who lived at the margins of society, excluded from community by poverty, disability, or actions that were considered sinful or unclean. Who in the Roman Empire was poorer than a slave? Jesus spoke for and on behalf of the captive and the needy and urged us to do the same. If it is true that God speaks through Onesimus' plight as a fugitive slave, who might expect to be flogged or even killed by Philemon upon his return, then Paul's letter to Philemon can be interpreted as being about the right of every human being to be free. Freedom in Philemon is not defined as freedom of the spirit, or at least not only freedom of the spirit. It is actual bodily freedom, the right to control one's own self and one's own actions. Johnson goes on to claim that traditional theology has stressed the slavery of the spirit over the slavery of the body claiming that in Christ even the slave could be free spiritually and could maintain a brotherly relationship with non-slaves. According to Johnson, this is pure sentimentality and a false separation of the spirit and the body. True freedom includes freedom of the body. Paul appears to convey the importance 
of all things physical in the language that he chooses in Philemon. Paul writes of people in terms of their earthly roles and positions, fellow worker, soldier, partner, old man. He writes of earthly relationships, father, sister, brother, and he names actual people who are members of Philemon's household, Aphia and Archippus, as well as his own companions, Epaphras, and then Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, his fellow workers. He speaks twice of his own heart, an actual bodily part with an essential physical function rather than of his spirit. This letter then is about the business of life, about relationships and work, about family and friendship. These physical aspects of daily life are essential to life in community and to life in Christ. As if to further underscore the importance of our actions and our physicality, in verse 17, Paul begs Philemon to accept Onesimus as a brother both in the flesh and in the Lord. Furthermore, Paul discusses his own status as a prisoner in this letter. While he somewhat ambiguously in verse 1 refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, he later clearly states that he is suffering imprisonment for the gospel. He is physically imprisoned at this time and has, like Onesimus, lost his freedom. Perhaps he is pointing out a newfound understanding of what it might mean to be enslaved, to have no control over the basic needs of life. Lewis writes that in mentioning his own imprisoned status, Paul and Onesimus, the imprisoned one and the enslaved, the apostle and his child become kind of interchangeable in their roles. They achieve equality before God. And even though both are subject to imprisonment, Paul detained in prison, Onesimus subject to the captivity of slavery, there is the promise of literal freedom to come. Indeed, freedom is anticipated for both of them. Onesimus, with Paul's help, will soon be free of his slave status. Paul, with Onesimus' help as he delivers his letter to Philemon, will be both free and a guest in Philemon's home. This is a God-given and blessed freedom found in the love and respect of community or the new family structure that the gospel of Jesus Christ offers to all. Paul never directly requests that Onesimus be granted his freedom. But if we accept that God speaks through the oppressed one, the marginalized one, the one who has little or no power to speak for her or himself, then the direct requests 
to grant Onesimus his freedom is actually irrelevant, for Christ demands it. Christ demands freedom for Onesimus, for the enslaved from Africa, for the children forced to labor in fields and and factories, for the migrant worker held in a locked trailer in the sugarcane fields in South Florida, for the sex slave forcefully, forcibly addicted and abused. Oppressed groups have long found comfort, inspiration and hope in the liberating message of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. Christ's message is a promise of freedom, real, physical freedom from oppression. The lasting message of Philemon for the oppressed and for those working to free the captives is that Christ is not only with us, but also for us in the struggle in this life on earth. From this little-known text comes hope for the little-known ones of the world, the voiceless ones for whom we, Christ's church, must speak. Let us take every opportunity we can as individual Christians and as the church to speak out for the freedom of every child of God. Amen. Now let us stand as you are able and repeat what we believe by saying the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And let us sing together hymn number 334, When Israel Was in Egypt's Land.
to have the session stay for a few minutes just to talk about the tree, trees that are down and the apparently small hole in the roof that we might need to consider. So if we just stay here for a few minutes, um, uh, before we Go now in peace. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore.
Yeah, dude, we're going all 